In the immortal words of Peyton Manning, Omaha! Omaha! You're listening to the Wildcats Sports Report Podcast. For the 18th time in school history, the Arizona baseball team advances to the College World Series, and they do so taking what's becoming a familiar path for uh, Arizona teams this spring by beating Mississippi, in this case, beating Mississippi in the Super Regional, getting the 16-3 win on Sunday night. And I think this game, if you look at anything, will be dictated or defined by coaching decisions, managerial decisions that to some were curious, uh, to me a few were baffling, and a few made perfect sense, uh, despite what the announcers on ESPN said. Uh, So let's go to, I guess, the big one for Arizona was the decision uh, by Jay Johnson to start Dawson Nets. Uh, Nets is a guy who's only started two games prior to that, um, did not have a win-loss record, was, was an effective pitcher, 4.41 ERA, 32 innings pitched, uh, you know, less less hits than uh, innings, been good out of the bullpen for the most part. But he got the call. I think a lot of people assumed it might be Chandler Murphy. Murphy had kind of developed into... The Sunday starter of late, uh, he has a fantastic record, but you could say that about most Arizona pitchers. Murphy is 7-0 and with the 363 ERA, had only made eight starts, but you know, 19 games. He's been a pretty effective pitcher, but did get hit a lot, though. Uh, and that might have been the reason at the end of the day that Arizona went in the other direction. Uh, he scattered 66 hits and only 62 innings. Uh, and that was, you know, the batting average against him was 274 this season, where if you look at Nets, it was 198. So I think that is the decision there, that knowing how potent Ole Miss's bats can be, that you went the other direction. Uh, if you're curious, again, wins and losses is a slightly flawed stat now in the days of uh, advanced metrics. Uh, but every uh, Arizona pitcher has a winning record, except for poor Quinn Flanagan, who is 0-4, despite actually pitching fairly well this season. Uh, Preston Price is 1-1. So Arizona went with that move, which turned out working well. Uh, Nets went just over two innings, gave, I think, one ba- uh, one base runner, and then they turned it over to uh, T.J. Nichols, who just pitched the gym. Nichols going uh, five and a third, uh, scattering three hits, giving up just one earned run, and that was the inherited runner that uh, Preston Price actually inherited, I believe, uh, late in the game. He left the game with the lead, and obviously when your offense puts up 16 runs, you're going to leave the game with the lead. But he faced 21 batters, only had, again, a couple, uh, three base runners. And, uh, you know, struck out seven. So T.J. Nichols, who maybe has the best stuff, most likely has the best stuff. Uh, he, he, after Nets, uh, put him in a good position to go deep into the lineup. Uh, does so, got the win for the team. Preston Price uh, pitched inning. Vince Vanelli uh, pitched uh, two-thirds of an inning to close it out. So that decision proves to be very good uh, for Jay Johnson. Makes sense. Again, Although Nets is not necessarily a starter and didn't really go very long. He only went two innings. Uh, He is a guy who does not give up a lot of hits. He was a guy who could, you know, go in and kind of stymie 
the bats early on, and then Arizona could put some runs at the plate. But by the end of the third inning, uh, Nichols had the 3-1 lead, and by the fourth inning, that was a 10-1 lead, and Arizona really never looked back. Uh, the other move, which made perfect sense for Arizona, was was shifting the, the lineup around. They moved Tony Bullard up to fourth. Um, he's been smacking the ball, and they dropped Daniel Susak uh, down to uh, seventh, and they uh, put Tyler Casagrande in left field. It made perfect sense. Bullard's been smacking the ball. What he's had six home runs in the last couple weeks. Uh, and Susak has been struggling a little bit. And both guys responded. Bullard drove in a run. He had a key RBI in the uh, early on to give, stake Arizona to the lead. Now, he did strike out four times. He did struggle overall. He left three on base. Uh, but he had a pretty good game overall. Conversely, Susak also rebounded. He was, he was two for five. Uh, he scored one, drove in a couple. So, in in essence, that move worked out for both guys. Although you would argue that it worked out better for Daniel Susak. But when your team scores 16 runs, it really doesn't matter if your cleanup hitter strikes out four, four times. Although he did have nearly half of Arizona strikeouts. Uh, and Tyler Casagrande was good as well. He had, a, he had a hit in his three plate appearances, and he also scored. Suzak doubled with his 21st double of the year. Uh, Casa Grande also tripled. So you see that those moves made perfect sense. Now, the move that didn't make a lot of sense to me, was, and, and he, this happened a few times, was uh, Bianco of Ole Miss starting his closer, uh, Taylor Broadway. Broadway, and especially what didn't make sense, it's not just that you started him, and I can understand that. You're trying to get a guy who's just you got the best stuff on the staff. You're trying to spark your team. But then he pitched him into the fourth inning, and he gave up six earned runs. He struggled uh, after the first inning. He really struggled kind of throughout. But they just left him in the game too long. Not only did you pitch him, uh, to me, if you bring your closer in, you're, you're, you're hoping to get two, maybe three innings, just what Arizona did with Nets. Once Nets gave up, I believe, you know, his first hit of the game, they pulled him. Uh, they did not want to pitch him too long. Conversely, Broadway stays in three-plus innings. Uh, gives up eight hits, six earned runs, and then they kept doing that. Then they brought in Jack Darty, who, and I think they kept him in too long. He gave up four more runs. You know, Brandon Johnson comes in, and then I think Bianco and I, again, the announcers kept saying, well, we don't know what their staff, you know, they he knows his staff better than they want. But when guys are struggling to get out, so I know you got limited arms, but I just think he left probably his first three pitchers in far too long and by then it was over but the the decision to start Broadway was not quite as curious to me as the decision to leave him in going into the fourth inning once he started getting in trouble in the fourth they should have pulled him and they didn't and he ended up giving up another home run so just a really tough outing uh, for Taylor Broadway uh, for Ole Miss and you know, I guess we can second-guess Bianco, and we're not going to second-guess Jay Justin. Now, if, if Nets had come in and really struggled, or if TJ Nichols had not given them the, the, the five-plus innings of, of three-hit ball, then we're wondering, why well, why wasn't Murphy in there? But it worked. So I guess if, if Ole Miss had won, then, then Taylor Broadway looks like a, a genius move. And it wasn't a horrible move if you pitch him for two or even three innings. You know, after the third inning, it was still just three to one. But by putting him in in the fourth and then leaving him in, they really cost them chance, themselves any chance to win. And now Arizona moves on. And it's been an interesting postseason for Arizona. They've really been dominant 
in in what five uh, of the six games. Really, only the Saturday night loss to uh, the Rebels uh, was really their their worst game, and the worst game in quite a while. Uh, they, they really got outplayed on both sides of the ball. Ole Miss's pitching was just dominant. Uh, the Arizona Bats just couldn't get going, and conversely, after a really great outing in in the regionals, Garrett Irving came back. Irving came back down to life. Uh, struggled in that game. Uh, you knew it was going to be hard pressed to get a complete game shutout out of him, like he had the weekend before. But he was really knocked around by Ole Miss, which they can do that to people. So next up is a Vanderbilt team that is going to be difficult. Uh, this is really going to be the battle between pitching and hitting. If Arizona can get to the Vanderbilt starters, and I'm not sure which of their two starters is going. They have basically two borderline first rounders to start their staff. But if they can get to them, then they might be in good shape. Because Vanderbilt, while they have good bats, probably can't score at a level Arizona can score when Arizona gets rolling. That being said... They have Vanderbilt's the distinct pitching advantage. You assume Silseth will get the call. If not, it might be Chandler Murphy. And either way, neither guy is as good as his Vanderbilt counterpart. But again, Arizona can put up runs one through nine, which a lot of teams struggle to do. Uh, if Arizona gets by Vanderbilt, that might actually be one of their toughest matchups, just the way the brackets go. Um, really, other than that, Stanford might be the biggest uh, roadblock to them, and Stanford got them two out of three this year. But Arizona has a very good chance to make a nice deep run here in Omaha. And then as we get closer to those games, we'll look more at the bracket. It was also another big weekend for Arizona football. And Jed Fish has done, again, we've talked about this. He's doing all the right things. Um, until he could actually coach a game and get some wins and losses, he's doing everything right. From the PR, from, you know, you've already heard coaches praising kind of the culture he's creating, not just around the football team, but around the other coaches, the other programs coming out to support everyone. And that's getting contagious. Now we're seeing Tommy Lloyd out at, at multiple baseball games. We're seeing... You know, Mike Candrea going and taking on a ball game. We've heard Adia Barnes really praising what uh, Jed Fish has done. We've seen other coaches praising what Jed Fish has done to, to build this culture. Uh, talking to former players they, who were very critical of the hire, they're now loving it. Again, the PR thing. And I've seen some people critical. You know, why is he worried about social media? Why is he worried about water balloons at the football game? Uh, they just need to win games. Well, right now there are no games to win. And frankly, when the season starts, there might not be a whole lot of games to win because they might not be that good. But you have to build the program in a variety of ways. One is obviously wins and losses, getting talent in place. The other is building a fan base that's invested and Really, since the middle of the Mike Stoops era, I would argue that the or the fans are not invested. That the fans just haven't cared a lot about the players, the program. Uh, you know, Rich Rod put in very entertaining product on the field, and for and for the most part, a lot of the fans didn't turn out. The crowds were good, but they weren't great. Uh, mediocre Mike Stoops teams drew more fans than than good. Rich Rod teams, and a lot of that was just how the players were presented, how the program was presented, and uh, that's a very important battle that Jed Fish is going to have to win. More importantly, is he's got to upgrade the talent so he can win some football games, and that's what he tried to do. This weekend, they hosted a ton of official visits. They hosted a ton of uh, evaluation camps and brought in a, a higher caliber of athlete than we had seen under 
certainly Kevin Sumlin, and I would argue that maybe even uh, most of the Rich Rod era. Uh, we, you know, we saw a couple classes here and there where Rich Rod was able to really go get the four stars to get on campus, but they were what I would describe as flawed four stars, or they had the class where uh, it looked like everyone was coming and then Dante Williams bolted for Nebraska and the entire class broke down. And now, to be fair, Jed Fish has not landed many of these big fish type players. We have to be honest in that regard. I mean, right now... They have a good class. They rank 36th in the nation, 6th in the back 12. That's better than anything Sumlin did, and that's better than most of Rich Rod's, Rich Rod's classes on paper. But you know, right now they've got a bunch of three stars. But now, legit three stars, for the most part. Guys who have uh, good offers. Uh, you know, Jonah Coleman's a good, if undersized, player. Noah Fafita, the quarterback, is the same thing. A little bit undersized, but very good player. Tristan Monday, Grayson Stovall come from big-time programs in the state, which are important, and they're, and they're good, legit players. But the players that they brought on campus over the weekend, some of them, not all of them, but some of them were even higher kind of caliber players. You look at it, four-star uh, Tatoria McMillan, who's although uh, probably leading towards other programs, uh, a, a teammate of Fafita, Kenyon Burnett, the son of Chester Burnett, who's a USC commit, but still made the trip out. The McKenzie twins, who are very good players. A.J. Jones, who is committed uh, to UCLA, but got his head really turned. They had a four-star Sterling Lane was on campus the weekend before. Uh, they had a five-star make an unofficial visit. They had a couple, actually a couple five-star, five-star linebacker and a five-star offensive lineman. So these are higher caliber players than they've gotten on campus in a long time. But you have to land them. And so far, they haven't landed anyone out of these uh, visits, at least publicly. You know, they've, on June 18th, that weekend, they've got more players coming. So including, you know, a three-star uh, safety from the IMG Academy, which would be a big get. They've got another player from the IMG Academy coming. That's a, a place Arizona has recruited a little bit, but uh, has not been successful in getting them on campus. So I like what they're doing in that regard. Uh, they're bringing a better caliber of athlete to campus. They're getting interest from a better caliber of athlete. Now you got to land them. And that's the, that's the next challenge. But if they were out here just stockpiling a bunch of two-star kids or a bunch of, frankly, some of the kids someone was getting, at this point in June, I'd rather swing and miss on high three-star, four-star, five-star players than land a bunch of two-star and low three-star players. I like the move to try to really upgrade the talent and upgrade it quickly. And if you can't do it, then those other players will be here later. Uh, so swing for the fences now in the summer while you still have some time to recover and, and land a different caliber of athlete after, if that makes sense. But I like what they're doing. Again, now they have to do it. Now they have to land these players. Now they have to upgrade the talent. Because right now I don't think the talent's very good. I think, you know, I, I have made no bones about it. I think this is probably a team that's, you know, flirting with three or four wins. Not uh, Probably not a bowl team. And three wins, if they start slow, if they lose to BYU and San Diego State, uh, three wins might be really tough. And that's not necessarily a knock on Fish, but that's the other thing. I need to see how he coaches. 
Does he look like a guy? He's a guy who is developing talent. Does he look like a guy who is scheming at a level that we need them to scheme? Because I didn't, I didn't think a lot of someone's schemes made a lot of sense at times. Uh, sometimes it was just pure personnel with someone as well. And I don't know who you on that roster you could have plugged in and been effective. But at the end of the day, right now at this point in time, I like what he's doing. I continue to like what he's trying to do. Now we got to see if he can capitalize. You may have noticed, haven't really mentioned Mike Candrea much, and that's because we have a separate podcast for that. I've actually already recorded it. I'm doing the editing. Uh, you'll hear this one first, even though I recorded the Candrea one first, just didn't get the edits done as quickly. But I'll reflect on his retirement, what he meant to the game, and what Caitlin Lowe brings to the program and what the program needs to do now to, to go back. Uh, you'll probably never recapture the glory days, but I think you you have a chance to get back to kind of what Oklahoma is now, which might be the closest thing to what Arizona and UCLA were back in the day. But those that's a different era. Uh, that's a completely different era, and part of the reason you can't get back there is just the success that Mike Candrea had outside of Arizona softball as being an ambassador to the game, a guy who could grow the game. But two, uh, Jed Fish, congratulations on, on bringing these guys on the campus. Now let's land a few into the Arizona baseball team. Enjoy Omaha, and remember why you're there to, as always, bear down. <laughs>